0: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Acclaimed folk artist Willie Nile performs live at the Hamilton in Washington, D.C. tomorrow night. We spoke in 2017 about his long career alongside Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, Bono, and Ringo Starr. He also shared exclusive details about the night John Lennon was murdered. We're here with the one and only... Willie Nile, look out. <laughs> 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 Who's coming to the Hamilton Live. Great venue. Thanks so much for coming in, Willie.
1: I'm looking for, thanks for having me. I'm lo- looking forward to the show uh, that we played the Hamilton last year. It's a beautiful venue and uh, great stage. and we, we, had, we rocked it up. It was a good time and looking forward to do that again.
0: We were just talking before we got on here. That, that venue every year does this thing called Grammys on the Hill and there's a lot of representatives there. And you just mentioned you're going to meet with one yeah, of them yeah. while you're in Co- town uh, right now.
1: Congressman Joe Crowley is a, an old friend. When, I was, when he was 19 years old, I was out with my first album touring. And I was at Queen, Queens College in New York City. And this two, these two college kids climbed into my dressing room window to get a towel signed. You know, and I was nice to them, thankfully. And uh, was, why wouldn't I be? And uh, <laughs> he still has a towel to this day. So he's crazy, but he's a, he's a hardcore rock and roll fan, a really good guy. And we've been friends for some time. I sang at his birthday party, so I'm going to swing by the Capitol and and say hello to Joe. I mean it's funny saying that, but he's he's a really he's a really good people are people. <laughs> While you're in
0: DC, you might as well. Man. He's a
1: really good guy.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. And what what will we be hearing at Hamilton? Is this your new Dylan album or
1: No, no, that's coming to I'm uh, making a new album of uh, Bob Dylan covers, songs of Bob and uh but I'll be playing some of the stuff at the Hamilton. I'll playing a couple of songs from then from that album and we'll play songs from World War Willie and American
0: Ride and some of the other albums that we've been putting out. Having a... Mighty mighty fine, fun time. <laughs> All those albums get super acclaimed, man. You always find them in top ten lists at the end of the year people, from it's, various it's, magazines.
1: It's, and... People have no taste. What are you going to do?
0: <laughs> you know,
1: that's just proof to me that, that people have no taste. What's that great Groucho Marx line? Uh, I don't want to be a member... Of, no, I want. I don't yeah. want to join any club that would have me as a member. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Speaking of Groucho, before we dive in, your your jacket you're wearing right now has Marx Brothers on the back. Yeah, yeah. It's a,
1: Explain I, who made it. <laughs> I have a black. I'm I'm small. I'm not a big fella. I'm a small guy, you know. And uh, it's hard to find jackets. So I was shopping with my girlfriend in uh, New York City and found this black stretch jacket that fit. It's hard to find good stage jackets, and I said this could be great. And I said, but it's got it's got no nothing on it but black. And she said, well, we could. I could cut up some T-shirts and sew them on, and so I've got like a half a dozen of these with different characters. This one has a Marx Brothers on the back. I've got one with Charlie Chaplin on the back. Lou Reed, um, John Lee Hooker. It's just fun. You make your own, make your
0: own jackets. <laughs> so great, and you wear them on stage. At oh Hamilton, yeah. Yeah. You yeah, some my we'll stage
1: jackets. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be prancing around mightily and. Some strange, some strange. <laughs> so you got to come out to
0: Hamilton to see which one he's wearing. <laughs> awesome. Take me more. Take me more into the the Dylan album because that sounds
1: awesome. Last May, a year ago May, it was a seventy fifth birthday, and in New York City is a venue called City Winery, and uh, there were it was a show going on there where they were going to honor Bob, and they called and asked me if I'd sing four songs of Bob's, and I said, well, let me give it a think, and um, I looked one night late through all of his songs. I thought, well, I'll only do them if I think I could. Have fun with it, or bring something to it. And I found some, you know, "Hard Rain's Are Gonna Fall" and "Rainy Day Women" and a few others. And it was so much fun singing them live, and kind of rocking them up a bit. And uh, it just was a ball. And I mean, Bob's the Shakespeare of rock and roll. And uh, and you know, I, I've, I know I've met him a number of times, and uh, I'm good buddies with his manager. And it's just, it's a great. Uh, those songs are so powerful. And so you know, I have grandchildren now, and. So maybe it's a, if nothing else, a door for them to uh, to Bob's work. So we had a mighty time with the band. We had the drummer for the Spin Doctors, Aaron Gomez, a great also James Maddock, great guitar, a singer-songwriter in New York. My bass player Johnny Matt, Johnny Paisano and uh, my uh, my lead guitar player uh, Matt Hogan. But the record came out. It was, we made it so quick, and it's the vocals are all live. My lead vocals. Bob's songs are great, so you start out with great material. You know, that's you can screw it up, of course, but we had we didn't. We really had a ball with it.
0: <laughs> didn't you say there's a blowing in the wind like uh, like the Ramones? We did a.
1: We, we, I did a, I was sitting around one night with my guitar, and I thought, well, what can I do to this? You know, and and uh, we rocked it up pretty good. It's kind of like I want to be sedated meets uh, Bob Dylan, a uh, backstreet in the East Village. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the hot summer
0: And You have uh, plenty of experience in the East Village The whole Greenwich folk scene coming up cause Explain to our listeners, you were born in Buffalo, right? Explain was, how you sort of made it from there all the way into down to New York
1: I was born in Buffalo, New York And uh, uh, my grandfather Grandpa. was a, a vaudeville uh, He ran an orchestra for like 20 years in vaudeville Seven nights a week, played mm-hmm. piano, did arrangements my father used to tell us all these stories about going to see the Seal acts, the comedians, the films. And my grandfather could really play the piano. He used to put a sheet, a white sheet, over the piano and play the sheet. Wow. Fascinating. I, as sheet little, music. Sheet mu- <laughs> the, the, the original definition of sheet music. Uh, as a kid, as a little, you know, three four-year-old kid, that was something to see. So there's a lot of history of music in my family. But I was bitten by the rock and roll bug in the early days, you know, from Elvis and uh, uh, Chuck Berry, Little Richard you know, and uh, the Everly really Brothers, to through the British Invasion, that was really my my prime, that really hit me up, you know, the Beatles, the Stones, Dylan, all that stuff. Grew up there, went to the University of Buffalo, and when I graduated, I moved to New York City, looking to try to make a living as a songwriter, making records. You know, I had never played before on stage, but I had all these songs, and uh, got the tour with The Who in the early 80s, uh, across the U.S. That was such a thrill, you know, I'd heard from the record company that Someone from the record company said, oh, Pete Townsend's a big fan of your your record, my first record. And I just said, oh, that's that's nice. But I thought to myself, yeah, sure he is. <laughs> and uh, when we were playing in Los Angeles, we toured across the country. First time I ever toured with a band, three weeks in. And their management came to see us play, see me play. Freddie Mercury came out that night to see me play. And anyways, so wow. <laughs> they asked us, yeah, it was crazy. And they asked, he said, they you want to open the tour? Because they were just on tour. And they yeah. actually... Kicked some band that was opening off the tour, put me on it, and we toured across the U.S. with the Who. It was, Was
0: this like nineteen eighty ish. Nineteen eighty,
1: and it was, uh, it was. I never even in my wildest dreams imagined anything like that. I'd seen them uh, in Buffalo one time, you know, earlier, and that was the Who, Pete Townsend every night, Roger Daltrey, and Twistle was still alive at the time, and uh, new drummer Kenny Kenny Jones at the time. What what a blast! It was like living a dream, and the record company didn't want to support it. They said, oh, no, you'll get booed off the stage because they tried to talk me out of doing the tour. And I, I said, we, you know, uh, they, nobody wants to see an opening act with The Who, and I understand that. I said, yeah, that may be the case, boo or not. I can't turn this down.
0: <laughs> you don't turn that down.
1: As a, fa- as a fan, I did it to see The Who play, yeah. close up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what and were we, they we, like we, backstage? I mean, we've oh, all seen the
1: music but They were so great. I mean, we had total access. We could go in the, uh, hang out in the dressing rooms. They couldn't have been nicer to us. You know the management on down Pete Roger, John uh, couldn't have been he couldn't have been nicer, and uh, they made us feel welcome. And every night was an arena, and the fans were wild. Yeah, I remember we were in Dallas. It was July fourth, and somebody shot a rocket across one one end of the some kind of a, uh, you know, firework went flying yeah. while we're on stage. And uh, I learned that after only that was my three I was three weeks in playing ever with a rock and roll. Band on stage because I had only played solo before that acoustic and uh, and here I am open up for the Who. It was a riot and I had you know enough. Uh, well, let's, let's say I had no brains. And so I, it was so much fun and I learned how to talk to twenty thousand people. Yeah. You just talk slow <laughs> and you say Roger Daltrey and Pete's name a few times and you're good to go. <laughs> it was so great. I actually played uh, in November. Uh, Roger Daltrey did a uh, cancer benefit in New York City at on Wall Street. Uh, a lot of high rollers, and uh, the guy who putting it on is a big fan, fan of a friend of mine, and he wanted me. He knew I knew Roger, and so he set it up that I got to I got to play with Roger. We traded verses on Substitute, Won't Get Fooled Again, and See Me, Feel Me, and it was like, I mean, still pinching myself. So I'm a pretty lucky guy.
0: So he liked you. Roger liked you enough to invite you back all these years later. Oh yeah,
1: I've <laughs> stayed in touch with him. He came out to see me a few years back when I was in England. We've stayed in touch, you know, and and they're really good guys. It's surprising. You'd be surprised. I mean, I don't know everybody in the whole yeah. entertainment pantheon, but right. I know the Who. Springsteen's a good buddy. Mm-hmm. And when you're sitting with these people, you know they're, their feet are on the ground. They've been through it. They're you know you can hang and have a you know have a drink with Bruce two in the morning and like talking to any, anybody. And yet it's Bruce Springsteen. And the Who are, they're great. I've been very fortunate. You know, Ringo even we did it. I did a tour in I think it was '92. Uh, someone in- invited me to open up for Ringo. Somebody got sick, and they said, can you make it? Sure, I can make it. Ringo Star, hello. <laughs> so uh, we opened up in New York City, and they liked it uh, They liked it a lot, and they said, would you continue in the Northeast? So we ended up doing the Northeast run of a tour with Ringo Star and the All-Star Band. And the last night of the tour, we're in Saratoga, uh, Performing Arts Center up in uh, Saratoga, yeah, New York. And I'm on the side of the stage watching Ringo, and the last song of his set is Photograph. That's because uh, all I've got is a photograph. Mm-hmm. he comes off the stage and he sees me about, I don't know, 30, 40 feet away and makes a point. He's got to do encores. He makes a point of coming beeline over to me because he knew it was my last night. Says, Willie, I just want to say thank you. Shook my hand, gave me a big hug, and, and says, You did a great job. Thank you. It was old school, you know, uh, rock and roll, and of him to do that. And when he hugged me, he was covered with sweat. And I thought, Beetle Sweat. <laughs> I'm covered in Beetle Sweat. <laughs> well, it sh- must be wild because you mentioned sh- that I you- haven't watched since. No,
0: you grew up watching them, and then oh, all yeah. of a sudden you're playing with Ringo and I getting sweat
1: all over you. Well, anyway, he said to me, he said, "Do you want to come on and sing? I get by with a little help from my friends." And uh, it was a, it was a great honor uh, to do that. And it was you know, Nils Lofgren was on stage. Nils is a buddy, so I've been pretty blessed. You know, when when you when it comes to There's something to be said for following your dreams, Mm -hmm. you know. I'm still doing that, and uh, it's not always easy, but these days it's rocking, rolling.
0: Well, that's awesome. That was awesome hearing about The Who and and Ringo. Tell me, go more into into The Boss. You mentioned Bruce and how you could have a drink with him at 3 a.m., but, man, he does those marathon shows like four hours, and I don't know how they still do it. Him and the E Street are just—that's just endurance and beyond. It's
1: beyond. I don't know how they do it. You know, I mean, I'll do shows two hours and stuff, but <laughs> but every night it's three forty-five, four yeah. hours, and there and he's not just you know whispering, you know, acoustic folk songs. Right. They're, they're he's rocking. I met Bruce in the early '90s, and uh, I knew his wife Patty Scalfa, from years earlier, playing in the Jersey Shore when she was singing background for Southside Johnny, and she said, "Oh, we love your new record. This is back then, you know," uh, and uh, we, you know we. We work out to it in the morning, you know. Which, <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. I go really, yeah. And so I, you know, we met uh, a couple of days later, and, and you know, we've been friends since. And he's just a decent guy, you know, the kind of guy that. Well, people always ask me, "What's Bruce like?" And I say, "You know what? If you knew him, uh, in know, day to day life, you—he's everything you'd hope he'd be. He's a regular guy. He's a good guy, you know, uh, with big dreams and a really big giving heart. I mean, you don't do those shows." He doesn't have to do any more shows. He doesn't have to, you know. He 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 does it because he loves the music. It means something to him, and he loves giving to the audience. He loves. The guy knows how to throw a party. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but he's a, he's a really good guy. I, I've been, you know, numerous. He's joined us on stage a number of times. Uh, there's a charity benefit we do up in Asbury Park every year, and uh, he's played. He's he's joined us for uh, a number of times on, uh, with my band, and a number of times he's invited me to sing with him on stage. Chase Stadium twice a Giant Stadium for 70,000. And I come on stage, right? And I, I, when I was at Chase Stadium uh, 2003 I think it was. One of the Mets pitchers Al Leiter was yeah, really. about to go sing with them and he was petrified. And I said, Al, wait, you you pitch a baseball uh, like in a World Series over a, <laughs> a, a little white object?" With sixty thousand people screaming, you know, bloody yeah, murder, hanging
0: on your every pitch. I said, "You're,
1: you're going to go out there." I said, "The East Street Band got it covered. It's easy. I've yeah. done it. Just go and have a good yeah. time." They have lighters in their audience every night. He walked. <laughs> he, he went out there, and he was petrified. Oh man! And when he walked off, he looked like a ghost. And they were. La- I could see little Stephen <laughs> was laughing because he was so scared. But he just goes to show. I mean, I couldn't pitch. None of us could do what he does, but the East e Street Band got it covered. So when I walked out, uh, Giant Stadium, Bruce invited me up to sing a few songs. 70,000 people going crazy. I mean, the the noise level, you know, it's like oh, you, nice you're behind a, a, a jet airplane taking off. Yeah. And it's full of love. You know, it's New Jersey, Giant Stadium. And uh, I went up to sing a couple songs. And, uh, and very, Bruce is very giving. We have a good time together. And he rocks. And so I was on stage stand next to him, kind of pushing him a little bit to the side. Hey, Bruce, you rock. You're laughing. And then I left the stage after two songs. And... Uh, I was in the back and somebody says, he's calling for you to come back on stage. He kept saying, I said, get Willie back out of here. So I went back for a third song <laughs> and we did uh, another rocker. And it was one of those times, you know how Springsteen and the band go all to the front of the stage, they yep. run up. Well, they did that and I go, well, I guess I've got to go. So I went with them. So we're right near the front of the stage. Everybody's all crowded. <laughs> and there's this woman looking up at me with the expression on her face like, who the hell is that? <laughs> What are he's you doing, doing history, What are you doing up there? Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just looked at her and kind of shrugged, went, I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Is that Al <laughs> it was. Yeah, right. It's Al Leiter. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Um, that, that's so great. I love hearing that about Bruce because oh, no, everyone that loves his music, it's so great to hear Anybody who
1: who cares, you know, would like to know what he's like. He's, he's the, the genuine everything, article. Everything you hope you he you would be. No, he couldn't be more down to earth. He, he'll go to Jersey out for a drink, you know, ride his motorcycle, we go out, you know. Uh, just have a drink, hang with, you know, he's, people don't bother him, they they don't, he's just tries to live in as normal life as you can imagine, being someone of that, you know, that, that
0: iconic. He's a great guy. That's so awesome. Yeah. Um, and then doubling back to, to Ringo for a second, um, and the Beatles, didn't, did I read that you also, that you played in the same, uh, studio as Lennon the, the night he was killed?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a whole other side. Uh, yeah, I was in, uh, in 1980, I was making my second album in December, uh, December 5th of 1980. Yeah. Uh, I took my band in to make my second album for uh, Arista Records. And uh, John, we, it was a Friday night. We started our record. And John Lennon and Yoko were, uh, I was in Studio A, the, the uh, one of the big rooms. And John was in the mix room upstairs with Yoko, working on uh, a Yoko project. And my co-producer knew John, Tom Pernunzio. And he knew John. He'd worked with him years past. And he said, you know, you want to meet John? I says, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but let's wait a couple of days. Maybe we'll record something. Maybe we'll, you know, play him something. Who knows? And I wanted it we needed to get the recording. So uh, so this was Friday night. So he figured, all right, Tuesday night, we'll, we'll go see him. So Sunday night, the 7th, 6th, the 6th of December. Was it 6th? Yes, yes, 6th. No, the 7th. 7th of December. Midnight, uh, we're in the studio recording. And the phone rings at midnight. And it's one of John's engineers. And they say that... Uh, John is out of guitar strings. Do you have any guitar strings that he could, he could use? And so we just looked. John Lennon has guitar strings, so we go diving in our bags and pull out guitar strings. I was going to put a note with the strings to John. Thanks for the music. You know, uh, uh, love you. You know. And I thought I'm going to meet him in a couple of days. I'll just tell. It's too corny. I'll tell him when I see him. So we sent the strings up about midnight, and we left that studio about two in the morning that night. The next day, Monday, December eighth, nineteen eighty, we came in about four thirty. I've got the, uh, uh, the the call sheet for that day, you know, with the schedule, and he was in at seven. We were in at four thirty, and uh, the engineer said John played on those strings from midnight to about four thirty in the morning on a song called "Walking on Thin Ice." It's a great track. Uh, Yoko's song—it's a—the guitar playing is just like so visceral, so so raw and rocking, you know. Just it's the last thing he ever recorded, and uh, so about ten thirty, ten twenty, or ten thirty that night, we're in the studio recording Monday night, December eighth, something like that, twenty after ten. The phone rings, unbeknownst to me, Tom Panunzio, the co-producer, had a buddy in New Jersey bugging him all week. Mm-hmm. Can you get me John's autograph? Can you get me John's? He was a collector. Mm-hmm. And, and t- we had done a favor the night before, so Tom called the engineers. I didn't know any of this till later. He called the engineers and said, uh, uh, the guy who gave John the strings would love an autograph. His name is Ken. Well, my name is Willie Nile, all you right. know, and John didn't know me, I don't think. But Anyway, so the phone call was saying, John's coming down now. So Tom went, he just said, I'll be right back. So he left the room. We're listening back to a, a, a take that we had just done uh, without Tom. And Tom comes in, and he goes, somebody just shot John. And uh-huh. I said, well, John who? It didn't make any sense. What do you mean, John? Somebody right. said, John, John who? John Lennon. I go, what? And you figure, well, shot, what does that mean? Maybe in the hand, maybe in the right. foot. Sadly, it wasn't the case. And the phone started ringing off the hook. David Geffen called uh, the the, the, the The woman, the uh, secretary answered the phone. He said, John's there, right? Some Yoko's friend just said he's on the way to the hospital. He'd been shot, but he's there recording, right? And she said, well, no, he left about 15 minutes ago. Oh, my God. It was so, so, so terrible, and we were all crying, you know, and uh, they announced this. We watched TV like everybody else, and, you know, one of my heroes, John Lennon, and uh, I'd give anything to to go back in time and to know that and go upstairs and say, hey, you know, and you know what? Uh, that he had a bodyguard, the record plant hired a bodyguard. This story, uh, people don't know this, nobody knows this. There was a bodyguard that they hired to guard him whenever he was in the studio. His name was Bobby, large, African-American, great guy, big guy, like 6'6", mm-hmm. 300 pounds, and I would tease him. I would walk up to him with my fists up. Okay, let's do it. And I'm so small, it was, you know, a good guy. So the next after the next day, after John was killed, I was talking to Bobby, you know, Bobby, what happened? And he said, he was telling us, he was just, you know, tears in his eyes. He said, when we got in the elevator to leave, John was in the greatest mood. He said John was in absolute, because the press, Double Fantasy was number one, you know, and it was the album that John made, you know, with Yoko, they <laughs> alternated songs. And he said, Bobby said, John was, felt he was so happy because Yoko was finally getting respect from the press. Mm-hmm. And that meant the world to him. And they got in the elevator, having just mixed this track, Walking on Thin Ice. It's a great track. It's just a, it's a, it's a searing, great track. And uh, John said to Bobby, hey, because Bobby was going to take him home. And he says, Bobby, let's go, to, let's go to dinner, have dinner, let's celebrate. And Bobby said, I'm sick to my stomach, I don't feel good. And John uh. put his arm around him and said, Don't worry, you go home. You know, uh, go home, get, feel better, we'll do another night. So instead of Bobby getting in the car with them, going wow. to uh, the restaurant in Denholm, he'd have been with him, and he'd be been watching wow. out. So people so,
0: don't know this about him no, being sick to his stomach? No, n- no I, wow.
1: he told me that the next day. That's I've never read that, never heard that. Wow. So he had he had he gone with him, things maybe could have changed, and uh, he felt really bad about it. I said, Bobby, what can you do? Yeah. We're not, you know, can't see the future. Anyway, yeah. it was a very sad day, and... Yeah. No, well, you, missed, got uh, to, I some, you gave
0: him the strings to
1: play on. I gave him the strings part. to play on, but he gave me all those amazing songs and all those thrills and all that inspiration that got me interested in making music. So Wow. And and that night, I played with Ringo in uh, Saratoga. The song we sang was Get like Goodbye with a Little Help from My Friends, mm-hmm. a song John wrote for Ringo. Mm-hmm. So when I was singing on stage that night, 12 years later, 1992, on mic with Nils Lofgren, I couldn't help but think back 12 years to the because this was a John song, yeah. you know, and uh, I'll, I'll just, I'll miss him all my life, as will most of us,
0: you know. Oh, my gosh. Yep. And it's...
1: Yep, God bless it, John Lennon.
0: Yeah, absolutely. God, God, bless God bless John, John Lennon. Lennon. And it's, it's stories like that, which is why, I mean, you've I feel like you've been at, at all these different places in music history, and that's why they're mm-hmm. making a documentary, right? Tell us about that.
1: I've been lucky, you know. I mean, I, it's just, you never know. You do your best, and uh, you just try to do the best work you can, treat people good, and... Uh, and uh, my, my father's advice, do the best you can, treat people good, and leave the rest in God's hands. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad's pretty re- devout, religious. <laughs> and uh, that's good advice, you know. Mm-hmm. I've been lucky, you know, I've worked hard, I never gave up, I persevered. There's a fella in Austria, a director, uh, looking is making a documentary about me. And I said, well, wh- why do you want to make a documentary about me, you know? And he said, because your story is unique, you know, you have more passion, you have the same passion or more now than when you... First, when you first came to New York, I'm writing my best stuff. The albums I'm making now, like I made American World War Willie. The album I made came yeah. out last spring. It was voted best album of the year for Twangville Magazine. It's on a bunch of top tens. And uh, American Ride, two years ago, I put out. And uh, that album won Independent Music Awards Best Rock Album of the Year.
0: Didn't Bono say really great
1: things about well, me? I've been Ride. lucky. I mean, I, I can't be <laughs> bragging about myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which proves that people have no taste, as I said earlier. <laughs> that just proves to me that people have no taste whatsoever. But I'll give them, I'll give them their due. Uh, yeah, Bono gave me, I, you know, I've gotten quotes. Lou Reed gave me a beautiful quote. Bono gave me a beautiful quote. He said, uh, "When I asked him for a quote for American Ride to help get the word out about the album, sure. uh, let's see if I remember what he said. He
0: said that." Uh, uh, I have it if you need it. You got it there. <laughs> what, what, I, I forget what
1: it is. What What is it? I forget what he, What he said.
0: Uh, he said. But bon, this is Bono saying one of the great guides to unraveling the mystery that is the troubled beauty of America. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God bless him. That's poetic itself. But it... when I
1: saw that, I, I mean, I was sitting in my, at my desk and I opened up an email and I see it's from Bono and I went, "Well, first of all, what?" You know, <laughs> you know and I look at the quote. You know, un, you know, a guy, a great guide to unraveling the troubled beauty. You know that is America. I mean, the troubled beauty. Yeah, he's a poet. Yeah. And, a, and another good guy. He's nice to me. He takes a lot of heat because of uh, all the, the work he does in Africa. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell people that. I, I, you know, I've, I've met him a few times. And, you know, he's he's raised billions of dollars for uh, AIDS and medicine and care. And, you know, if you save one life, one life, that's worth it. Hey, save the world entire. You know, just <laughs> save one life. And he's done more than that. And yeah. he's a great guy. And uh, he's yeah. a poet too. Give me a great quote. Absolutely,
0: he's a piece of work. That Absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, but we were sorry to tangent everybody. But uh, we were talking about the the filmmaker. The doc, the yeah, the guy. Yeah, else. there's
1: a, yeah. They're making a movie about me. Um, I don't know when it'll come out. Maybe next year, the year after. But uh, he's been following me around with a camera over in Europe and in the states. He went to Buffalo and interviewed my father for a couple hours. Wow. Had, my father's 99, and uh, he's doing great. Lives alone, knocking on wood. I played golf with him last year. <laughs> That's <okay>. He's still
0: <laughs> golfing at
1: 99. Well, I think it's done now, but uh, we, we, he, he played. He shot a 98 when he was 98. <laughs> I know exactly. He's he's a he's a salt of the earth guy That's and a great. special man. I love him dearly. And uh, so Lucas, the filmmaker, went to uh, Buffalo and interviewed my dad. When he went back to Austria to show some clips of stuff he had filmed to some of his friends. They all said, this guy's the star of the film, my dad. And I said, there you go. Now <laughs> we you found got, our angle. <laughs> now, you got, now you got a movie there. There's a star for you. Anyway. Yeah, so we're, we're having some fun with it. You know, it'll involve some social issues. You know, when I was in D.C. Mm, two Augusts ago, uh, M- Malala, the yeah. Nobel Prize winning uh, yeah. that young girl who was shot in the head by the Taliban. Yeah. Uh, she was speaking at the uh, museum. Uh, about empowering women. She's so
0: inspirational. So and that ins- movie, if you guys have not seen that movie, that documentary, the, she's, oh my gosh. She's
1: remarkable and, and so revered around the world as a spokesperson for girls and women and education and health and just up, up, uplifting uh, girls and, and, and women. Anyway, uh, a friend of mine at The Voice of America, The Voice of America was sponsoring the event and they wanted to use a song of mine called This Is Our Time. And I said, "Oh my! I'd love. I'd be honored." Yeah. So I took the train down. I went to the event and met her, met her father, mother, and her two brothers, and got a really sweet picture of her and I. And uh, on the way back on the train, I wrote a song about, you know, uh, empowering women. And um, I'm recording it now. What's it called? Uh, I don't want to say. Okay. You know, um, I have to kill you. <laughs> but it, it's about empowering women, and uh, she's very inspiring. And We'll have that in the, We'll have a piece of that in the movie because it's something that uh, you know. I believe in 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 helping others, trying to spread a good word. Life is hard. Even if everybody got along, if everybody mm. was pals mm. on the planet, if nations were all buddies, it would still be difficult. Yeah. Life is hard, and and obviously people aren't buddies, you know. And I I, I like to address things as well. Look, let's say a little seven year old kid gets hit by a bike in a cul de sac, and Bill O'Reilly lives on one side, and mm. Ken Oberman lives on the other side. Well, they probably run out to help the kid. I like to meet at Mm -hmm. that place. Yeah, you know, Uh, life is 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 hard. So, I'm going to have some things about social issues. You know, empowering women and uh, why hunger in the film and uh, some of the Parkinson's work we're doing. Just so it's got some meat on its bones, but it's fun. You know, if it, if it inspires somebody, if it's an, you know, if it's good, then yeah. I'll be happy. If it's not, then yeah. I'll leave town.
0: <laughs> well, look for the Malala song on in the documentary. What's yeah. the dot com? Do you, you mentioned outside. There's a tagline, right? The you mentioned a hilarious. Oh, the tagline. documentary. Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, the the movie's called One Guitar: The Willie Nile oh, yeah. Story. And when I was talking to this uh, to Lucas, when he came, he flew from Austria to meet me and try to convince me he wanted to do this movie. And I just. I've said no a few times. I, I don't. People don't need to see my mug up there on the screen. <laughs> and uh, we were talking about it, and I was intrigued. And I told him a story. I'd been in in uh, Paris in 1980 doing interviews across Europe. My drummer and I, JD Doherty, basically drank our way across Europe doing <laughs> interviews. You know, no shows, just interviews. It was really f- interesting and fun. And so I'm in Paris at some five star restaurant, and this, you know, and I'm quote unquote the next big thing. Right. This, I was way overhyped, and. Uh, <laughs> He says to me, so Willie, uh, Willie, how would you describe rock and roll? And I just said without thinking, rock and roll is a Marx Brothers movie you can dance to. <laughs> and, <laughs> I I, love it. and he goes, "Wee wee," you know, and, w- and when I told Lucas that, he said, well, that's the tag for our film. And, you know, so he's a smart guy. He gets a lot of Lucas is a smart cat. So I'm, I'm excited about it. Could be good. Could be interesting.
0: A Marx Brothers movie you can dance to. That's rock, rock and, roll, and roll, baby. That's, that's rock and roll, baby, yep. That's so great. That's so great. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, is there anything we're leaving out? I mean, otherwise, let's just... just... be good to each other, people. Do, do the best
1: you can to be good to each other and enjoy good music and support it when you can. And we're coming to the Hamilton and with my band, my rock and roll band, and this band is one of the best bands in the world. I, and I say that humbly. These guys are amazing. I put them up against any other band. We have so much fun. Guaranteed. If you have socks when you're leaving the building, I'll give you money back. Meaning, we'll knock your socks off. We have so much fun. People leave happier when they ca- than when they came in. You know. So we're, I, I love the venue. After soundcheck, I always take a walk to the White House, take a look. You know, and uh, be good to each other, people, yeah. and go go support the the local music around you.
0: And wear two pairs of socks, cause at least one of them's getting knocked off. Yeah,
1: wear two. Pa- take an extra pair of socks in your purse or your sport coat or your leather jacket. You'll need it on the way out. <laughs> That's so great, <laughs> Willie Nile. You can turn a phrase in an interview as well as a song. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. If people, you know, WillieNile.com is uh, where you can find more information on about uh, the music and stuff. But. Thank you for taking the time to have me here. You're a brave soul. <laughs> I did my best to behave. Well, It still worked still, out. We're, yeah, we're, you we're behaved. Still, I don't have You You're pretty still, good. Pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Not too bad. I'll do better next time. Awesome. Thank you, Jason. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks
0: so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.